this really this morning is about you, a congregation of people who are calling this man to be their lead pastor. And so that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. Uh, this is a significant moment, a tremendous honor to be invited to join you as you install Malachi Tressler is just the fourth pastor of this church's 55-year history, which I think says something about this congregation. Uh, not only that, this brother has been here for 10 years today, as Stephen said before. I think that it's really important in moments like these for us just to remind you and to remind one another that this is an important moment. You know, sometimes you go through significant experiences and it's only when you get to the other side and look back and you recognize, hey, that was a really big deal what we did on that day. Well, this is a really big deal what we're doing on this day as we recognize this brother. Brothers and sisters, let's not miss the profound significance as we publicly recognize him as the lead shepherd of this church. In Acts 20, 28, Paul tells the elders in Ephesus, pay careful attention to your flock in, the, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I want you to think about this. You have vetted this man. Uh, you've had kind of a long vetting. It's been 10 years. You have rec had him recommended by the elders. You have voted on him as your lead pastor. But make no mistake, the Holy Spirit was at work through it all, through you, to lead us to call this man to be the next lead pastor. Uh, Malachi and Melissa, we, I think, could say that 10 years ago, when all of this started, we didn't see this coming. Uh, it, it was 10 years ago that uh, Malachi was at a conference in Texas, and he met one of my mentors, Mark Dever, and he said, in literally a five-minute conversation, hey, you should call Josh Vinson. He's a pastor in Phoenix. And so he got home and he, he called me out of the blue and he mentioned his, his situation. He said like, hey, I'm in Ahwatukee. I'm looking for a church that might train me. Do you know of any churches in Ahwatukee? I was like, what's an Ahwatukee? And he's like, no, it's a place. It's like just, you know, north of Mexico. And I was like, okay. And uh, he just dropped that he played music. And it so happened that we needed somebody to help us with music. And uh, so we, we started talking. I said, hey, what would you think about just coming and visiting and maybe coming and helping us for a season so we can train you as, as you were here with us? And he said, sure, I, I can come and we can think through that. Um, I think it was probably more complex uh, when he was talking to Melissa behind the scenes. But I said, you know, I need to hear what you sound like, so could you send me a, a voice recording? And so he sent me a CD, and he had this picture on the CD. It was like professional made. I think we've got it here. This is the first exposure <laughs> I had to this man. Now, you have to imagine, I haven't listened to him yet, but as soon as I saw this picture, I said, you're in. <laughs> I don't know if I'm cool enough to hang out with you, but this is the kind of guy that I need to be around. I don't even know what that hat is that he's wearing. And I looked it up. It's called a fedora. Uh, Reuben can tell you about those kinds of things. But uh, the thing that, that really impressed me was that after talking to him, uh, obviously the photo was very impressed, impressive and talking to him, uh, I listened to his song and I was like, wow, man, like the music really meets the hype. He's a good guy. He's gifted. Um, and he loves hats, right? And so uh, I thought, you know, Malachi likes all kinds of hats. 
he likes all kinds of hats. He likes hip hats, all kinds of hats. And so we decided to have a hat made for Malachi. It says, Pastor Mal. <laughs> Brother, come on up. I got, I got this hat for you. Uh, we only ask that you wear this all day today. No, I'm joking. You don't have to. You don't, yeah, you can pass that along. Um, uh, but, but Mal has been a pastor, but now he's a lead pastor. And uh, when he has that hat on, you know that he's at work. So he convinced Melissa to come here for two years to help us with music and receive training. Two years. He served as an intern, a pastoral assistant, a music director, pastor, and is now going to serve as your lead pastor. He found that that two years turned into five, that five years Sorry, guys. This is not the first time I've cried this week. Um, But that time turned into five years. That time turned into ten years. And here we are today. Uh, He has done so many things here. But what I quickly found about Mal is I spent time with him is that he is brilliant. Um, We have never compared IQs. I am sure that it's higher than mine. He is humble. He is faithful. And I still call him on the regular for counsel. He is a, a wise counselor. So that five-minute conversation 10 years ago turned into a two-year contract, uh, which now, 10 years later, turns into you serving as lead pastor of this church. We did not see that coming, and we have watched you grow. We've watched you grow in leadership, and we've watched you grow in preaching over this last decade. You are a gifted brother. And Melissa, you did not see yourself as a pastor's wife. And yet here you are. And we have had the privilege of seeing you blossom alongside Mal. You've modeled a love for Christ and for your children in good times and bad and for the church. You are fun. If you don't know that, you haven't spent time around her. She is a gifted and precise encourager when she comes to you. She does not come with empty encouragement. She comes with specific, targeted, sniper-like encouragements. She is wise And she has a backbone of steel. Don't mess with her. (laughs) The Holy Spirit has been at work amongst us, doing things that we did not expect to bring us to this moment. And so my charge for Mal, along with the other elders this morning, comes from 1 Peter 5, 1-4, a very familiar text. You'll, You'll remember that Peter promised not to desert Jesus, that he would not abandon him in Mark 14, 29, But less than 24 hours later, Peter famously denied Jesus three times as he approached the crucifixion. You you can't help but think that Peter's threefold failure is in the back of his mind in John 21.16. As Jesus three times asks Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter says, you know I do. And he says, then I want you to feed my sheep. And that really sets the stage for my charge for you, Mal, along with the other elder brothers who are here today, here at TBC. Now, if you're taking notes, this is uh, a good place to write down our main idea. And it's going to be very poignant this morning because of the occasion. It is this. Mal, shepherd trinity with an eye toward the return of the chief shepherd. Shepherd trinity with an eye towards the chief shepherd. Now, first, uh, notice in verse 1, you'll notice that Peter says pastors need to grasp Christ's sufferings in one hand 
while reaching for Christ's return with the other. You need to be gripping both of these things. That's what pastoral ministry looks like. Now up to this point, you remember that Peter's been encouraging a congregation that's been bombarded with all kinds of external sufferings. Uh, They've been hit from all sides in all kinds of different ways. But here he's shifting attention in the letter, and he wants to focus on internal sufferings, and he begins with one audience, the elders of this church, and that's who he speaks to here as he begins in verse 1, saying, So so I exhort the elders amongst you as a fellow, fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed." You'll notice here that that elders, it's clear they are not exempt from suffering. Trinity has always followed the biblical model of having multiple elders, and and Mal, he now is serving as the first amongst equals, as the lead pastor with the other elders. And this word so that begins verse 1, it is connecting with all the things that Peter has said before. Uh, you remember in 1 Peter 4.17, if you look above, Peter just said it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. I take this to mean the, that uh, first, that these elders of the church are not exempt from suffering. And second, that they are often on the tip of the spear in experiencing the sufferings of the people of God. It is not that they are a people that are just called to carry burdens, but they are also to come alongside sheep and help them bear their burdens as well. And Peter quickly both describes himself and you'll notice he gives them in this verse a cruciform paradigm for pastoral ministry. A a cross-shaped paradigm for the way that they should be thinking about how they care for the people of God. Notice, he says that you need to grip both those present sufferings and the future glory that is to come. Peter doesn't pull rank as an apostle. Uh, Here, you'll notice, he he just called himself a fellow elder. He is coming alongside them. In fact, uh, this really not only is humility for him, but it's empowering for these elders. He is saying that these elders are kind of carrying the mantle of apostolic ministry through the preaching of the Word to the people of God. Now, there's some debate over what Peter means when he says that he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Uh, If you read in commentaries, they say a lot of different stuff. There's uh, some who point to this and say, well, this can't be the actual death of Jesus because Peter, you remember, he was noticeably MIA. He scattered when Jesus was killed. Uh, There are others that say, well, I think you're pushing this a little too hard. Uh, If you're saying that he didn't witness Christ's sufferings because not Maybe he didn't see the exact event, but didn't he see all of the events immediately before and immediately after? I found another commentary, uh, commentator who wrote this. Paul Ochtemeyer says, People bear witness to Christ's sufferings by themselves participating in such suffering for the sake of Christ. I find that compelling that that's likely what Peter is talking about here. You will remember that Peter has just highlighted the connection of believers to Christ's suffering and glory in 1 Peter 4.13. There, if you look up there, you'll notice he says this, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Do you see it? The, The sufferings in one hand and the glory that's coming in the other 
Like you're holding both of those together in your pastoral ministry. See, present suffering followed by future glory is the pattern of ministry established by Jesus Himself. Jesus suffered and died for our sins before He was lifted up in glory. And Peter encourages these elders who were likely suffering or will definitely at some point suffer. And he says, this is the pattern of Jesus' life. This is the pattern of my, Apostle Peter's, life. And this is the pattern for your life too. Present sufferings followed by future glory. Peter's inviting other elders to accept this cruciform paradigm for pastoral ministry. And he does not want elders to be surprised by suffering. Now, uh, here is the thing that I struggle with. I always feel surprised by suffering. Like, that, that's my knee-jerk impulse. It is immediately surprised and then like, okay, wait a minute, I know what's going on here. I, I'm grateful that after the last 20 years, I am a little less surprised than I was before. But I still need to hear from 1 Peter 4.12 on the regular, where Peter says, do not be surprised when you face fiery trials, when they come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. This is not a strange version of Christianity. This is normal Christianity. When sheep get struck, they run to the good shepherd who was struck for them. And shepherds, they are unique in that they are called to care for sufferers as they suffer. I still remember meeting with a, a number of lead pastors. We were meeting together to, to talk about dreaming of something together. And uh, I remember as we were talking, one pastor, we were praying for one another. And uh, he mentioned that he was struggling with his lupus. Uh, we had another uh, brother who said that he was struggling with Crohn's. Uh, another brother had a child who had uh, attempted suicide in recent history. And we were gathering together, trying to lead and, and think about and dream about the, the kingdom of God and how to expand it. And I was thinking, what a motley crew that God has gathered together. And yet, we believe that God can do great things even amidst and through our sufferings. And I watched as these men faithfully suffered while leading their churches, not drawing attention to themselves, but always pointing their people towards Christ. With that suffering, it's not the end of the story. See, Peter was also a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Did you see how quickly... He jumped from the reality of the suffering to the glory that is to be revealed. It's almost like less than a comma. He is immediately jumping into the future that awaits. He says the, the real way that you deal with the sufferings of this life, the real way that you equip others to be ready and prepared to face the sufferings, that they will come is to immediately remind them of what this life is about and what their future is and what it holds for them. There is glory that's coming. Malachi, I, I'm going to have a lot of charges throughout and some charges at the end, but here I just want to charge you not to be surprised by fiery trials when they come. Brother, you're a man with sturdy hands in difficult situations. I am grateful for that. Continue to be faithful. I charge you to keep future glory before your eyes so that you are always ready to preach hope to suffering sheep. And I charge you to fight to model that hope of future glory both in your home and outside of your home, before believers and unbelievers, in times of success and times of suffering to the glory of God. Well, that's the point of verses 2 to 3, isn't it? 
The point is, in verses 2 to 3 that we're about to look at, is that if you lose sight of future glory amidst present sufferings, you will not shepherd well. You will not shepherd well. If you are noticing that there's some tendencies in your shepherding that aren't going so well, that you're being harsh or uh, not showing fruits of the Spirit, not feeling fruits of the Spirit, maybe your wife's giving you strange looks, it is probably because you have lost sight of future glory, at least in some part. Because notice, second, you need to shepherd your sheep. Shepherd your sheep in verses 2 to 3. Now, Peter spoke to the elders in verse 1, and here he adds another title to elder, which is shepherd and overseer, which are all titles for the same role. Uh, So Malachi, he's going to be your your pastor. Uh, He is an overseer. He is an elder, along with the other pastors, elders, overseers. If you want to come up with a fun title for Mal, like bishop, You'll have to get him a new hat, but I think that would be great. But notice he writes in verses 2 to 3, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So first, in verse 2a, you, you notice he says, you need to shepherd your sheep. Uh, The word for pastor here, it actually comes from the same word for shepherds who put sheep to pasture. Good pastors, they uh, protect, correct, and provide for the needs of sheep. I I haven't done a lot of shepherding of sheep, but good shepherds spiritually, I know, they lead them to nourishing pastures as they feed on God's Word. Now, there is a a book that's out there by Timothy Laniac. I've quoted it to you before. It's called Shepherds After My Own Heart. And he explains that good shepherds in the ancient Near East would protect their Awasi fat-tail sheep. They did it with a staff and a rod. They would protect them from lions that would attack from without and wolves that would maybe attack from within. They were always about the business of protecting these sheep. They even slept in the doorway to keep intruders out at sake of their own lives. They knew their sheep. They knew them in terms of birth, health history, eating habits, and other idiosyncrasies. And one of the most striking characteristics of the shepherd-flock relationship is that control over the flock is exercised simply by the sound of the shepherd's voice or whistle. Don't miss this. Pastors shepherd the flock of God. A local church is ultimately God's flock. His precious possession. Sheep purchased at the cost of His Son's own blood. Uh, Many speak of how uh, sheep are dumb, and and I think there are probably some nuggets that we could draw out of that here and there. I could give you some personal illustrations from my own life as a sheep. But let's not forget that we are God's flock. And He doesn't look on us as dumb sheep, but His beloved sheep. And pastors care for God's sheep with the care that one would show God's prized possession. still remember a time in, in college when um, I, uh, I was dating a girl and she said, you need to talk to my dad. And I said, that's great. She said, he's through there. I walked through the door and he was down there. And I'd known him for a while. We went to church together. And uh, he was cleaning his shotgun. And uh, he said, oh yeah, come on in. Great to see you, Josh. You can just sit down. I'm so glad you're not like the other guys that have wanted to take my daughter out on the date. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the other guys, you know, they don't love Jesus. They don't know me. They don't understand, like, how you're to treat a woman. Um, and I usually would have to threaten them with this gun and talk about, like, how many deer I've killed and uh, how I can, you know, hit an animal from 350 yards away uphill and how um, I love her and treasure her more than anything on this earth. And if anybody hurt her, I don't know what I would do. I'm not saying that's the way to go about it. But I will say this, she was supposed to be home at 10 and she showed up at 9.30 on the dot that night. And what was he doing? Well, he really just wanted me to remember that she was his treasured possession. And that I needed to treasure her like he treasured her. Trinity Bible Church, let me remind you that you are a treasure. And faithful pastors like Mal and the elder brothers who are here they are also, not only are you a treasure, but they are a gift straight from the hand of Jesus to you, his treasured people. You need shepherds. You might live in a culture that says you don't need leadership, but Jesus says you need shepherds. Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 says that Christ himself gave his church the gift of, amongst other things, pastors to equip you for the works of ministry. Again, as Timothy Laniac says in his book, God has a divine preference for human agency. Appointment by God includes calling, stewardship, and accountability. See, I don't want you to miss this as we're looking at these verses. Spiritual health, according to Christ, means submitting yourself to a group of embodied pastors. Younger Christians, and maybe some of you older Christians too out there, I love you very much. Uh, you cannot be shepherded by a podcast. I want you just to imagine this for a second. Imagine that uh, you decided that you don't really need real, actual flesh and blood pastors. Uh, you're going to be pastored by your favorite podcast preacher. And so you dial him up every week. You know what your pad podcast pastor can't do for you? He can't know your name. He can't see your life. He can't actually speak specifically to you about where you're at spiritually. And if you disappear from your car so that you can't hear the podcast anymore, he's not coming for you. You need actual shepherds in your life. Embodied men. Imperfect, but led by the Spirit and called by Him for your good. See, Jesus warned of bad shepherds. Bad shepherds who... Look to beat and eat sheep in Ezekiel 34, but the good shepherd has given good gifts to his church, including good shepherds like Malachi and Harry and George and Stephen and others. See, Christ sovereignly ordained for embodied pastors to shepherd the souls of embodied church members. Malachi, you can't go it alone to care for all the sheep that are here. You can't know them all in the same way. You need your brother elders. And they need to come alongside you to know you, these precious, this precious treasure of God. And Malachi shepherd this church. Uh, there are enough social media pastors. Shepherd this church. Trinity has one lead pastor. Be that guy. Uh, but notice that he gives three not this but that statements in these verses about shepherding. Uh, notice First, he says, not because you have to, don't pastor because you have to, but because you want to. I think that's what Peter's saying when he says, not under compulsion, but willingly. 
In fact, one commentator says that in later material, this word for willingly went beyond volunteerism to include a joyful embrace of God's will. So why do you think Peter needed to remind pastors that they should pastor willingly and not under compulsion? Well, I think it's because human pastors are limited. Uh, the more that you get to know me, you'll know how limited I am. Uh, the more that you start to get to know Mal, uh, which y'all know him, but you'll notice that he's limited. He's limited in energy and gifting and wisdom and time. He is finite in a way that Christ is not. He's not Jesus. His job is to point you towards Christ, who is not finite, who is the good shepherd. So human pastors, they suffer. Pastors regularly step into situations that remind them of their finitude and their desperate need for God to do what only He can. Under shepherds, shepherds who are under Christ, seek to care for the sheep in the same way that the chief shepherd cares for them, willingly. That's the way that Jesus shepherds us, willingly. That's what we find in Luke 12, 32, where Jesus Himself says, fear not little flock. You ever feel like the little flock? That's like most of my days. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Loves to give you the kingdom. Can you imagine that? The kingdom of God. That's the reality that we live in. And now, let it continue to be your good pleasure to take care of the flock that God loves so much. You need time. You need rest. You need time with the Lord. You need time with family. But it is your pleasure to care for God's people. Uh, not greedy for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Uh, Paul warned Titus not to appoint elders desiring dishonest gain in Titus 1.7. Now this text, it doesn't call for pastors to take a vow of poverty. That, that's not what he's saying. As an apostle, Paul did not take a salary, and yet, speaking of pastors whose full-time vocation ministry is teaching, he writes this in 1 Timothy 5.18, You shall not muzzle an ox. Uh, so Mal's the ox this morning. You have other oxes. He's oxen. I think that's right. We'll check that later. Don't muzzle the ox. Don't, don't muzzle Mal when, it treads, when he treads out the grain. And he goes on to say the laborer deserves his wages. That's why, what Paul means when he says a pastor whose vacation is teaching the Word is worthy of double honor in verse 1 Timothy 5.17. He's saying it is a noble thing for a pastor to work hard, to provide for his family, just as it is for any other Christian. In fact, 1 Timothy 5.8 says that someone who does not provide for his family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now what this text, I think, is doing, it's warning pastors who would embezzle or skim God's money like Judas. There might be a temptation to water down sermons or avoid hard topics like God's wrath or to, to platform themselves rather than exalting Christ for a love of money. Eventually, those kinds of folks, they, they quit preaching the message of Christ who suffered before being glorified and calling others to take up their cross and follow Him. And you'll remember in Acts 20 that Paul reminds them that Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. So we want to be generous as pastors. But third, not domineering, but exemplary. Not domineering, but exemplary. Now, <clears throat> this, this point reminds me a lot of Machiavelli who said, it is better to be feared than to loved if one cannot be both. 
Like, if I got the choice, love and fear, um, I would rather have them fear me. I think they're going to respond better than if they love me. Another philosopher, Michael Scott from The Office, musing on this, said, do I want to be feared or loved? That's a good question. I want both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. But good shepherds, good shepherds, what are they driven by? They're, they're driven most by a fear of and a love for Jesus Christ. Shepherds who love the chief shepherd most love his sheep best. And Jesus himself exemplified what a good shepherd looks like. In 1 Peter 2, 24-25, Peter writes this, and he's speaking of Jesus. He says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, the good shepherd, he laid down his life as a sacrificial sheep to protect his people. Good under-shepherds exemplify what it looks like to get struck in this life in all kinds of ways. And and we don't know what kinds of sufferings are going to come upon us, but the Lord sends suffering to teach us, teach us the nature of what it looks like to take on the sufferings of Christ. Pastors get struck by cancer, by death, by debt, by failing to meet expectations, being wronged by other Christians, and living in a world that attacks your faith and still loving the Jesus who was struck for you. And maybe some of you as sheep have experienced some or all of those things, and I want you to know that the Lord sends those lessons to pastors so they can love you better. You've heard it said that a pastor is so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. Well, that's not the way that the apostles saw it. In fact, verse 4 gives a motivation for good pastoring or shepherding. Uh, Look what he says in verse 4. There we find that we are to shepherd with an eye for the chief shepherd's return. Verse 4 says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, did you catch what aspect of the gospel Peter is highlighting here is a motivation for pastoral ministry. The gospel is beautiful and glorious, and it has all kinds of different aspects to it. But there is one that he is really honing in on, particularly here, as a motivation for pastoral ministry. And it's the second coming of Jesus. When Christ returns, this This coming, I believe it comes with two parts. It comes with responsibility and it comes with reward. Now we know that Jesus is the good shepherd from John 10. He's called the great shepherd in Hebrews 13, 20. And here we find he is referred to as the chief shepherd. This unique term, chief shepherd, highlights responsibility. Every pastor that the chief shepherd will return and find, they will have to give an account In fact, one of the the verses that we talk so much, Mal, you've probably heard me use this verse tons when I talk about pastoral ministry. It's Hebrews 13, 17, where we are reminded that every Christian is called to submit to their leaders as men who will have to give an account for their souls when Jesus returns. That'll wake you up like coffee in the morning. And in 2 Timothy 4, Paul goes on to tell Timothy to preach the word and then he adds I want you to do it as though you were in the presence of Jesus sitting on his throne at the second coming to judge the living and the dead you'll have much to answer for 
but also all the other shepherds. Because Jesus is the chief shepherd, are merely under shepherds. I mean, that's something that helps keep you low, knowing that it's not your treasured people ultimately, they are Christ's people. We are Christ's people. And all shepherds are merely under shepherds of Jesus waiting His return and His reward as well. You'll notice that here. For caring for His precious exiled sheep as they await His return. Uh, You notice, their jobs are temporary, but their reward is not. He reminds every pastor that the reward that they look for, it's not fading. It's not rotting. It's not rusting. It's not passing away like the treasures of this world. It's not like Bitcoin. You invest in it one day, everything, and then it's all gone. No, this treasure is a treasure that lasts. And we are told here that good pastors, they will receive an unfading crown of glory. This crown, I think, is different than the crown's of the Greco-Roman world. Uh, Crowns that were given for earthly achievements like uh, competing in athletics or uh, winning a war. No, these were wreaths that were given that would fade over time. You're getting a building that has your name on it. One day it's going to fall. Having a trophy. uh, A trophy Uh, maybe even just for participation, but a trophy nonetheless, it's going to break and be thrown away at some point. But not this unfading crown of glory. This crown, it could be eternal life itself, or it could be a reward for elders. Uh, The use of crown in some places in 1 Corinthians 9.25 speaks of this kind of crown as entrance in the eternal life itself. But I take it that uses elsewhere in the context here supports what Tom Schreiner calls the greatest reward conceivable when the eschaton arrives, when Jesus gets back. A great reward for faithful shepherds that we have to look forward to. I've been charging you throughout, but Malachi, let me offer some final specific charges. Uh, Things that I've written down, you don't have to write them down now. I will send them to you. Uh, But four, I had ten. We don't have time for ten, so I had four. And here they are. First, I charge you don't shrink. Don't shrink. Don't shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. In Acts 20, 27-28, Paul is handing over his ministry to the elders in Ephesus. And he tells those elders, I am innocent of the blood of all. He has a good conscience when he's leaving. Why? 4, verse 27, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't shrink. I mean, this is a powerful image when you stop to think about it. Paul had plenty of reasons to shrink or to feel small. He he had lots of reasons that he might want to be big and bold for preaching the whole counsel of God, and yet reasons also to shrink back and grow small to the task. Some non-Christians, they will mock you and try to make you feel small as they see you. You might disappoint other Christians even as you work and feel small in their eyes. You might feel too young and small to shepherd older saints that you really respect. People with more degrees or success in business might tempt you to feel small, too small for the task. But pastoral ministry, it's not like fighting bears. Yeah, you're going to get lessons on fighting bears today. 
Uh, I've been watching this show called Alone. Um, you can't not watch it, so I'm just warning you. Like once you watch, you're stuck. But it's about these men that are dropped into this like remote island in uh, up in the North uh, Pacific Northwest, and their job is just to survive on nothing in a bear-infested land for as long as they can. And whoever makes it out the longest or alive wins like a ton of money. And so these guys, like they're trying to survive, and you find them repeatedly coming along and finding bears. And so what they do, what I found their, their model for surviving amongst bears is, is to scream loud, acknowledge the bear, talk to it like a person, which is kind of weird when you think about it, but I guess if you're alone for a while it makes sense, but then also to try to make yourself seem big. Uh, I'm going to seem big and loud. That's how I'm going to do this. Like, you made me feel small, I'm going to look big and loud, and I'm going to scare the bear off. Because bears are big, and they have sharp teeth. But pastoral ministry isn't like fighting bears. No. You fight to stay low and humble as the under-shepherd of the chief shepherd. Trusting that the chief shepherd is big. That he's the one that is the shepherd that can fight away lions and tigers and bears. And that your job in those moments where you feel small is not to make much of you or your education or your brilliance or your cleverness or your really cool hats, but of Jesus. And to direct their attention towards Him. We all need more of Him. Be humble. Stay low. Be completely dependent on that chief shepherd of your soul driving others towards Him and His Word. All of it. Old and New Testaments. Trusting that these people need it because Jesus said they do. You don't have to shrink if you're already low. Humbly dependent on Christ. Don't shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God from the pulpit and in the living room. Just continue to share the whole counsel. Showing people Jesus from all of the Word. Second, Always exalt Christ as the chief shepherd. I could have just included this in point one, but I just want to make sure it's clear. Every time you preach, make much of Christ. Make Him the hero of every single Sunday. We won't get tired of it. They won't get, y'all will not get tired of Jesus being exalted, right? Amen. Third, keep a careful watch on your life and doctrine. Uh, brother, I've been pastoring long enough to see a number of my heroes fall, even as of late. Some have denied the faith. Some have disqualified themselves from sin. Some have taken their own lives. Keep studying the Word to show yourself approved. And do it with your brother elders. Uh, learn it together. Study it and gaze at it together. Keep seeking to be known by others, both in your life and in your doctrine. And at the end of the day, be reminded that you too are a sheep who needs to be shepherded. You need shepherds. Open up your life to your brother elders to help them keep a careful watch on your life and doctrine. You have done this for me so well. Do it from out. Seek to be led by the Spirit. Keep a right order in your life. Love Jesus most. Treasure Melissa. 
Treasure Melissa. Love your children above other humans. Under Melissa and then them. And let your life so shine before your family that they see the love of God the Father more clearly. And then fourth and last, pay careful attention to this flock. Mal, it has been such an encouragement for you to call me over the last months wanting to share what's going on in the lives of others and talk to me about how to counsel them well. I hope you guys are okay with that. If not, you can talk to us later. But just people I love, seeing the way that you are loving them sacrificially, you are paying careful attention to them. You don't shrink. Remember that Christ is infinite, but you are finite. Lean into the elders to make sure that you are able to know, feed, protect, and keep all the sheep. You can't do it by yourself. And all of this with an eye to the return of the chief shepherd who is coming back, and that's when things get really good. So in times of suffering and times of success, point them towards the return of this chief shepherd. Let's pray.